For a lot of people watching the redistricting process, there's one big question, a question my colleague Caitlin actually asked commission staff recently. You have more competitive seats, I would say, in this map than the previous map. Can you just talk about some of the competitive numbers? Thank you. Well, this commission has not decided what percentage of votes makes a district competitive or not. So I guess I that is not going to stop us from talking about how competitive Colorado's next congressional map may be and asking an even bigger question. What good is competition anyway? This is Purplish from CPR News, a podcast about Colorado politics, policy and for this season, redistricting. I'm Benta Berkland here with my colleague, Caitlin Kemp. Hi. Now, if you've been listening, you know we're into the crunch time for redistricting. The commission is debating different maps based on different priorities, but they're all supposed to meet the same basic criteria you've heard us talk about all season. Equal number of people, compactness, communities of interest. And we're going to take a step back in this episode to focus on one criteria in particular, competitiveness. Colorado is one of only a handful of states in the country that requires competitiveness to be a factor in determining new congressional maps. The two maps the nonpartisan commission staff have proposed so far do have slightly different levels of competition. So this latest map has anywhere from one to three districts that might be considered winnable by either party. Yeah, and that, I think, depends on how you look at it. And that is a change from the first map that came out in June. That version really just had one swing district, a redrawn 7th district that would take up Jefferson and Douglas counties. Our colleague Andrew Kenny has been out on parental leave for a lot of this season. But before he left to hang out with his baby, he set out to examine this whole idea of competition and what it means for our politics. You might be wondering what exactly is redistricting and why is this happening in Colorado? I did not know what to expect when I drove up to Red Rocks Community College in Arvada to attend my very first public hearing on redistricting. I wasn't sure how many people would even show up for this kind of weird, wonky political event. But the answer, it turns out, was a lot. Something like 200 people packed into rows of chairs under the fluorescent lights, fidgeting and coughing and doing the things that you do at a really long public meeting. The vast, vast majority of them were there for the same reason. They were residents of Jefferson County, and they were worried that the redistricting process was going to divide up all these neighboring suburbs and stick them in new congressional districts with people they didn't really know. People from Lakewood got up to say they didn't want to be with Douglas County. It was just too conservative and too suburban down there. Others were worried about being grouped in with the mountain people up in the foothills. No offense. (laughs) Harvey Burns in northern Arvada wasn't happy that his area might be lumped into a new congressional district with the oil country of Weld County. Here's how he described it to me after giving his comment. How is a elected representative going to support oil and gas farming agriculture community and a very urban, suburban community. I mean, I already feel d- torn enough, and as if I were trying to elect them, I'd go, I can't represent both. I'd have to choose one or the other. And here's Cheryl Cheney after she spoke, telling me why people in these cities belong together. They know if they live in Arvada, where they do their shopping, is that in Westminster, is that maybe in Wheat Ridge? They know, you know, where their social connections are. And of course, the biggest issue, or one of the biggest issues we heard was education. 
Dozens of speakers were upset at the prospect that the new maps might divide up school districts and cities and political voting blocks that have stuck together for a long time here. Except for this one guy. His name was Michael Fulton. And he actually liked what he saw for a very big picture reason. I guess probably January 6th, you know, you look at what happened that day and obviously the country is way more polarized than it, than it has been. Uh, in a long time, and it doesn't seem to be getting better, and you have more far far right and far left, and I'm kind of a centrist, but I, I think for the good of the country, we have to do something like this. All the rearranging that had other people concerned was actually appealing to Fulton, because he liked the idea of having conservative Weld County, for example, matched up with the blue suburbs. What we need to do is have conversations with each other again, and, you know, someone in a city shouldn't be, you know, disliking someone in the rural and vice versa. We, we, we need to start conversations again across America. He was hoping that by mixing and matching, maybe this redistricting process would create more competition, more swing districts where candidates have to satisfy Democrats and Republicans. And actually, that first draft map this summer, the one that the people at this meeting were talking about, it did that. It gave Congressman Ed Perlmutter a much tougher fight by adding more conservative rural voters to his district. Uh, I think they have to reach across the aisle and they have to talk to both sides, which is what America is supposed to be about. Now, the reason I'm telling you about this little debate is that it represents an issue that's really deep in the heart of redistricting. It's about a really weighty question that could play a big role in what happens next for Colorado. Is competition good for democracy? A lot of people would instinctively say yes. One of the values that often gets tossed around uh, when, when we're talking about redistricting or, or reforming the redistricting process is always about partisanship. Seth Maskett directs the Center on American Politics at the University of Denver. There's a widespread belief that the way districts are drawn is a major contributor to the increasing partisan polarization in this country and in the state. And that if we could somehow you know, make districts more balanced, if we could make them more competitive, then that would reduce some of the partisan rancor out there and would allow the parties to get along better. It's not surprising that people are thinking and talking about that. Nationwide, the number of competitive districts has been dropping for decades at the same time that politicians and voters themselves are getting more partisan. So why not just make everything as competitive as possible? Well, it's not that simple. This is going on for lots of other reasons. Districts aren't swinging left or right just because of redistricting. This is not really gerrymandering's fault. Largely, it's voters sort of sorting themselves. Entire communities are kind of naturally getting more partisan and therefore less competitive. Increasingly, people are very mobile. Democrats choose to live near other Democrats. Republicans choose to live near other Republicans. Not necessarily for partisan reasons. It's a lot of for other lifestyle reasons, but that's simply, you know, those overlap with their partisanship. And to make things even harder for the competition lovers, competition is the last priority on the list for the new redistricting process. Competitiveness is one value, um, and that's certainly something we can apply. But we also want to make sure the districts are equal size. We also want to make sure that they're, they're relatively compact and not spread out. Um, we want to protect historic communities and, and represent where people live. If you wanted to draw just competitive districts, that was the only thing you cared about you would end up really running afoul of all the other criteria. You might end up splitting up communities, for example, or drawing really funny shapes just to get to that partisan balance. And all those values are kind of at war with each other. So you can do your best to just kind of, you know, come up with the best map that tries to satisfy as many of those values as possible. But at some point, you're placing one value ahead of the other. And there, there's really just no way around that. One example of how those values have collided is Latino representation. 
When the first maps came out early this summer, some groups immediately started warning that they had splintered Latino voters. State Representative Adrienne Benavidez said that the commission may have been trying too hard to make politically balanced or competitive districts. And it sounded like there was a, a heavy emphasis on competitiveness in the two proposed maps. Competitiveness is the seventh criteria, and it's basically saying apply competitiveness to the extent possible, not as a primary criteria. So I am concerned about how the commissions are approaching it. In Colorado's last redistricting effort 10 years ago, the map only produced one really competitive district. It was CD6 in Aurora and Denver's southern suburbs. Aurora was a military town. It was represented by a Republican named Mike Kaufman. Of America. Mike Kaufman, son of a soldier and a soldier himself. When his district went from being safely Republican to leaning Democratic, a lot of people thought he would be gone and quick. But that's not what happened. To the African, Asian, and Hispanic communities who have welcomed me in their homes, in their businesses, and in their places of worship, I look forward to continue working with you in your journey to achieve the American dream. He seemed to adapt to his more diverse district. He spent a lot of time visiting churches and learning Spanish. He changed his stance on immigration. He criticized President Trump. Honestly, I don't care for him much. But that only worked for so long. Ultimately, he lost to a Democrat, Jason Crow, in 2018. Is this working? <laughs> we did it! Kaufman had tried to convince voters to look at this as a local race, who's the best guy for the job. But after he lost, he said that it had turned into an extension of the national battle between the parties. Competition, apparently, had its limits. So these last 10 years in CD6 kind of raise a big question. Is drawing for competition worth it? Does it actually achieve all the goals that people hope it will? The idea that we want competitive elections is so ubiquitous within academia that I can count on one hand the number of people who agree with me. Um, uh, I know them personally. That's Justin Buechler. Um, He's an associate professor at Case University. And he's actually written a book on why competition in politics isn't that great. He argues that it doesn't create this epic battle of the minds with voters carefully weighing their options. Instead, he says it tends to come down to brute partisanship. It's not a metaphor. A literal statement about what an elected official is, is an elected official is an employee hired by voters. Now, in a district that is split 50-50, what that means is you have a board of people who will decide whether or not to retain this employee, half of whom just want to fire this employee no matter what. That is an impossible employment situation. and this is He argues that while candidates in competitive districts may try to go toward the center, it's really hard and getting harder to convince voters to disregard party lines. And research suggests that thanks to primaries, the politicians who represent swing districts aren't much more moderate than those in the safe ones anyway. On the other hand, in an uncompetitive district, well, at least more people would be represented by somebody who agrees with them. Buechler says that should be the goal. What we want is for as many people as possible to be represented by members of Congress who share their partisan and ideological beliefs. Achieving that means having as few competitive districts as possible.
competition versus common interests. That's been a real theme throughout this whole redistricting process, and we're hearing it again with the new staff map that was just released. Yes, under that map, you have one real toss-up district, which is the new 8th Congressional District. That would be um, competitive because it's a mashup of liberal Denver suburbs with conservative Will County, including a big piece of Greeley. The new map also has two districts that would be pretty close. So they lean to the right or the left, but could probably go either way, depending upon the political year and depending upon the candidates and who is moving in and out of that district. Yeah, that's correct. One is the proposal for a Southern district, which would lean Republican, and the other is the redrawn 7th Congressional District, which is a mix of a few conservative mountain counties and a few purple mountain counties, with Jefferson County's growing blue hue. Something that's interesting to note, and that we heard in Andy's story, and we've uncovered that in our reporting too, Caitlin, was this real concern from Latino groups that the commission was going to sacrifice their interests or their community of interest in order to create competitive districts or more competitive districts. Instead, this latest map is arguably more competitive, but does a lot of the things some of the Latino groups were asking for. Yeah, the commission staff does seem to have threaded the needle, but I imagine there may be some people listening who are probably a bit surprised to hear us call this a competitive map when more than half the seats will be held by one party or the other. And one thing we need to reiterate again is that competition is just one of the many criteria the commissioners have to consider. And in fact, it's last on the list of things they have to consider once the commissioners have taken into account almost everything else. Yeah, and and I will say this. One person I spoke with said, you know, competitiveness might not be the right lens to be looking through this. What you really want is a district that is responsive, responsive to political changes, responsive to shifting populations. But that brings us, I think, back to Andy's reporting, because after looking into the political science arguments around whether competition should be a priority for our politics or not, he found he had something else on his mind. So maybe the real question is, has the commission done a fair job of picking a map that balances all those competing and sometimes even contradictory ideas? There's more ways to draw, you know, a set of uh, congressional districts in Colorado than there are atoms in the universe. And it's not even close. That's Corey McCartan, a Ph.D. student in statistics at Harvard. And he teamed up with another student, Chris Kenny, to try to get a grip on some of those possibilities. What they did was really interesting. They set up an algorithm that would draw different maps that could satisfy some of Colorado's rules, and they came up with 3,000 of them, 3,000 of those atoms in the universe. In the olden days, uh, seven years ago, about, uh, (laughs) this would have probably taken a few weeks on a supercomputer-type cluster setup. But with an algorithm that McCartan developed, it took about an hour on a laptop. And so, yeah, you know, even 15, 20 years ago, this would have been basically impossible to do in any way, shape, or form. So when they did this analysis on the initial map from June, they found that their computer-generated alternate reality maps tended to be about as competitive as the actual draft map from the commission. Probably made it even more competitive if they wanted, or they, they could have made it less, but they came down sort of right in the middle of what you'd expect, even without trying very hard. This approach that McCartan and Kenny used is a great example of how technology is reshaping the redistricting process. To tie it all together, I talked with one more person, 
Wendy Cho is a professor of political science, statistics, mathematics, computer science, Asian American studies, and law at the University of Illinois. She's done pioneering work on this kind of simulation-based approach to redistricting. And she thinks that computational analysis will make the trade-offs involved in drawing different maps much more transparent. But she says that the technology will only take us so far. So there are all these things that humans have to decide. Like, what does it mean to be fair? Whose interests are we going to trade off of somebody else's interest? Right? Because it's, it's always trade-off. It's, uh, it's zero-sum in redistricting. You put someone here, you put someone there. It's, uh, that changes the outcome. It changes you know, what happens for any particular person or, or even district. Computers can tell us increasingly whether a map is more competitive or more biased or less compact or less contiguous than it could be. But the most important decisions about how to balance those contrasting values, they still have to be made by humans. One of Cho's biggest questions is whether independent commissions like Colorado's will improve that human element. We very much need the humans. We very much need, you know, human deliberation in the process. Computers don't don't fix that. Um, Computers never fix humans, actually. All this is to say that there really is no perfect map. The commission's decisions ultimately will favor one priority or another. They're nearing the end of their work now. Colorado will feel the effects of all those choices for the next 10 years. So there may not be a perfect map, but we are a little bit closer to getting a final map. The commission is nearing the end of its work. Yes, and the question now becomes, will the commissioners rally behind the latest version of the map with its increased competition, or will they listen to the concerns of people who say this latest map puts too many disparate communities together? Interestingly, some of the concerns we've heard about the maps haven't centered around the competitive districts. We've also heard people upset about certain districts that would be considered pretty safe. Yeah, there has been a lot of angst about putting, for example, Fort Collins together with most of Weld County in the safely Republican 4th District, or putting conservative Northwest Colorado in with Boulder in the strongly Democratic 2nd District. And I think this goes to something we hear a lot from voters. Yes, they want competition, but they also want to be in a district that votes like them. I I think that's exactly right. And another question is, if you are in a district that's more evenly split politically, how will it impact the types of candidates who run for office or does it not have a huge impact? So we'll be following that for sure. And this redistricting process still does have a lot of twists and turns ahead. We're not across the finish line yet. But Lynn, unfortunately, I'm afraid you will be a spectator from here on out. (laughs) And Um. I say unfortunately... For me, maybe not for you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, that is right. Thank you, Benta. I am going to be taking a leave of absence from Colorado Public Radio. I'm hanging up the microphone, and I will be picking up the editor's pen for the next few months. I should be back next year in time for, oh, yay, primary season. Yay, yes. Well, we will definitely miss you, but Purplish listeners, if you're worried, you do not need to be worried. We are still planning to keep bringing you updates at the most important points in this redistricting process. So while this is the last episode for a while in the redistricting season, make sure you stay subscribed and look for the occasional update to pop into your feed because I know I will. Purplish is a production of CPR News. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Benta Brooklyn with my colleague, Caitlin Kim.
Until next time, this is Purplish from CPR News.